Today, we're going to talk about strategy, but specifically discovery call strategy. We talked last week about some of the tools um, that we can kind of help facilitate you know, the prep work before jumping into a discovery call. Um, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into the strategy. We should just kind of take it each stage, each step of the way. And first stage is once you've actually got them on the phone, what happens next? I am baffled by how unprepared some people come into a first stage or a discovery call with me. The only way to look at this through a reasonable lens is for me to objectively look at how people handle me if they're trying to sell me something, right? Because obviously I know a process that we deploy internally and we advise our clients to deploy when it comes to having a discovery call. But realistically, the real barometer for what is successful in a process is how people approach you. The amount of times I've gotten on a discovery call where the person clearly has absolutely no idea of what we really do at our core as a business. Sure, sure. Now, some might say that it's my fault for accepting calls from someone who hasn't qualified me properly, but... Oh, I don't know. I don't know if that onus is going to stick on, on who's being sold to. I think that your curiosity is is totally acceptable. And, you know, again, that kind of goes back to let's put the onus on the salespeople. That's let's put the onus back on us and the responsibility and and all of that on us. We've gotten you interested enough to to get you to, you know, give us 15 minutes. That's that's our responsibility. You know, we we need to own that. And I think where your frustration comes in is when people don't. Um, and that's yeah, that's the biggest reputation killer. That's why we started this, like why we have these conversations on a weekly basis and is to try and do that whole, let's steward good sales practices and people that are trying to learn how to be the best salespeople that they can be. And that's a big driver for me taking those conversations as well. If we're looking at a way, I think the only way to define a successful strategy or process is by having a repeatable framework, right? So when we go into a discovery call, and I'm super interested to hear how you guys approach this, but when we go into a discovery call, we've got a pre-written blueprint. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is very different from a pre-written script, which I believe personally is horribly transparent and incredibly irritating. Badly written scripts, which are too easily produced, are irritating, for sure. But a well-written script is still possible to read badly. So if you have someone who has a really well-crafted script and a really intelligently calibrated list of questions, but isn't asking them effectively or isn't listening to the answers they're being given and taking them into consideration. So for example, a call I was on yesterday, Someone asked me, what sales enablement tools are you using? We answered the question and we obviously told them that we've built our own internal tools, which made the next four questions that they were about to ask me completely redundant. Completely. Okay. They still asked the questions. They still asked me everything about our tools that we've built. So their, their, their whole value prop to us immediately became useless for the specific thing they were selling. But there was still an option there for a conversation about partnerships and 
various other things. And frankly, if I get on a call with someone who has an interesting product or offering and I'm not directly competing with them, I am very proactive about making introductions to clients, friends, colleagues, because I think that's the best way to help other businesses succeed. And it comes back to you in spades. But if it's not managed efficiently, I don't know what it is. It just grinds my gears. So we go in with a framework where we'll have certain questions that we'll ask, obviously, the usual what compelled you to take this call. And if you could only get one thing out of this conversation that would make this useful, make this 30-minute block of your day, of your life, a valuable thing to you, what would that be? Sure. Very often, people are caught off guard by that because it's not self-serving. Well, that goes back to kind of when we started this and one of our, our first episodes where we talked about well, what is selling and that that's really just trying to problem solve for whoever has given you that time. And I love that question. What, what, is, what is the reason for you joining the call today? What can we facilitate? What is the thing that would be most helpful for the next 15 to 30 minutes that we discover with you and talk with, with you and, and kind of push on, on the strategy or, or even just the problem? Um, I love that because it, it, it flips the script completely the other way and allows them to build you what the next questions to ask are. And I think a good salesperson acknowledges that they need to disarm their prospect, their opposition in a call, whatever it is, much quicker than they currently are. So the best way to disarm them is asking a question that's not self-serving, like you said. Yeah. I mean, I think that with the first thing out of the gate is, hey, let me tell you what I've already prepared and, and kind of rehearsed for the last 30 minutes. It's really easy to read a great script all the way through without ever listening. And I think if you prompt the first question or the first part of the conversation to force you know, that salesperson to have to listen, mm-hmm. that conversation is going to go a lot better. It still may not end in a sale and it still may not end in the fact that you have a solution to whatever they were hoping to get out of this conversation. But if you're prompting them to listen instead of prompting them to ask, that's a wonderful approach. And I, I Ben and I have been writing scripts for some time at AU. And, you know, really, we kind of go back to how we wrote our emails. And that was, we start with what we're trying to get at first and then work backwards from there. Yeah. So using that framework of, okay, what do you need out of this next 30 minutes for this to be a productive use of your time? It, it should be the standard. I couldn't agree with you more. And it always seems like it's lost on whoever we're training initially when we say listening is the most valuable form of communication. And it, it, it's met with this sort of like blank stare and, okay, these guys are going to be those philosophical trainers who don't have any specific strategies or metrics that we can tie them back to. And or deliverables or any of that. Exactly. And it's just all <laughs> it's airy-fairy concepts. But ultimately what we've determined is mirroring, for example. Mirroring is one of the most effective sales tools that any communicator can have. And for those of you who are listening who are not necessarily aware with that term, I'm sure it's called various different things, but mirroring is where... Yeah, dive in a little bit deeper because there's there's a particular person that comes to mind when you say mirroring. 
um, that we both we both know. But um, yeah, I, I want to push on that. Mr. Black Swan himself, <laughs> Christopher Voss, uh, former FBI hostage negotiator. So if he can talk people uh, out of terrorist activity, you can bet your bottom dollar you convince them to sign a contract. But one of the more valuable things that I learned from I actually had been doing that previously, but it was just a natural thing that I had done where I'd repeat back to someone what they had said to me in a different way to show them that I was listening. Because pre-COVID, a lot of people didn't do video conference calls. They just do straight phone calls. And the only way to show someone you were paying attention was by going, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't, that doesn't cut the mustard half the time. So if someone said to me, I asked them, what is the most important thing you could get out of this call? And they say, well, I'm just spending so much time trying to like filter through my prospecting strategies. And it's just, it's really driving me nuts. And I say back to them, mm-hmm, versus, so it sounds like you're having a lot of difficulty getting in front of the right people. They're immediately listening to me. They go, yeah. And it's almost like they're saying, how did you know that? It's like, you just told me. And I just showed you I'm listening to you. It's not that, it's not that scientific. <laughs> and that's engaging. I think that when you start to really show that you're listening to somebody, you immediately start to build trust. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do our jobs without trust. There's, there's nothing that is more hurtful to sales then having a relationship that you cannot trust is going to benefit both people. And I think making sure that you're listening and whether that's repeating it back and mirroring or, or truly just having intent and, and, and excitement to figure out what this is. You know, if you hear from someone that says, I'm having a really difficult time to get my team to follow up once we've made initial contra- um, contact, you know from that point on how this conversation's going to go. And I, I love the idea of baking that into a framework. And I'm going to push you a little bit more on what that looks like. And maybe you can walk us through kind of how that would work and how you guys implement that with clients. I want to know kind of one of the things we were talking about um, this week also was empathy and b- baking that into our emails and making sure that all communication is empathetic. Um, but on point and on message, not empathy for just empathy's sake, but you know, truly taking the time. So how do you work that framework? How do you massage that to make sure that the, the person reading that script is listening? Great question. So once again, no scripts, framework. So the messaging that we use on our calls is always about listening. So We'll ask the basics, like, what do you want from this call? What compelled you to take this call? Because at the end of the day, if someone is asked that question right from the get-go, they're going to give you a very clear direction that they want the call to go in. Okay. So, for example, if I say to someone, what compelled you to take this call? And they say, well, your, your account executive reached out to me and I had a few minutes on my calendar and they said some smart things, so I thought I'd take the call. To me, that's someone who needs to be qualified a bit more. Absolutely. They are obviously interested because they've taken the time to get on the phone. Now, if someone said to me, I am really struggling with my business development process. I was getting a million dollars a month in referral business. And now my main referral partner has gone out of business himself. And out of nowhere, 
I am on my knees. I've never had to do outreach before. I've never had to do cold prospecting. I've never had a business development process. Frankly, I never even had to do any hard selling. I just got an introduction and signed a contract and it was done. That immediately tells me everything that I need to know to provide value to them, which is so important, but also to be able to determine what actually has to happen here for this person to feel comfortable that I'm the right person to help them on this journey. Building trust. And as you said, trust is so key. So a good example of this, and I won't harp on too much about modeling. You know, I'm big into data, but we use this LTV CAC model for explaining to our larger clients the value that they'll get from us. So for those of you listening, LTV, lifetime value, CAC, customer acquisition cost. Essentially, it's a ratio that tells you how many dollars you're going to get back for what you put in. So if your LTV CAC ratio is three, you'll get $3 back for every dollar you put in. Now, when we're speaking to a client and we're using this model, we're able to show them what they will get by working with us. But we're not saying it's impossible to achieve this without us. We actually give them a roadmap on that call of exactly what they would need to do to achieve the results that we could achieve for them without us. And we do that for two reasons. One, because I don't think it's ethical to pretend you're the only person that can do something. I don't think it's, I I really, I have a big problem with people pretending they're more special than they are. But the second reason is trust. That person immediately knows, well, they're presenting us with cases where yes, they can help us, but they're also saying that they're not the only option out there. And I even go as far as, and I did this yesterday on a call, I'm actually going to send this specific podcast to this client. Well, hopeful client, we're at that stage where they said, we're vetting one other partner. And I said to them, do you know what? Take that model that I shared with you, put them up against us. If they're better value, go with them because the model doesn't lie. Absolutely. They lost their mind. They didn't understand it. Trust, I mean, trust is the only thing that I want to really build. And quite frankly, if there is something that's a better solution than what we're able to offer, I want them to go there because if I pointed them or if I was honest with them and I made sure that I built a real relationship with them, when the time comes for them to use our services, it's it's a no-brainer. It will close immediately. It may take six months. It may take a year. They need to come back and revisit with us. But if there's a solution that is better, just given the certain particulars that that business is trying to achieve, it would really harm our business to take them. And and I just don't want that. We need to have 100% satisfaction rate Mm -hmm. um, or we don't get to build anything. We've built successful businesses, but again, without having referrals or without having that trust, there's no way we could do this at the scale of business that we do. And I I love the idea of making sure that they're presented with all options. We had a client that came on um, a call and was the CEO and he kind of surprised us. And what he wanted to understand was what our secret sauce was. Yeah. What's our secret sauce that you're going to present that makes you better at doing this? And every time I'm asked that, I'm very honest. And I just say, there is no secret sauce. The only secret is that we're going to tell you what we need to do, and then we're going to fulfill on that. The problem normally comes is they'll get all of the direction. They'll get a great framework, but then they, their team 
falls off or, you know, their partner only goes halfway. And my promise to them is if we say we're going to do it, we will do it all the way to the end. And that's the secret sauce. It's just doing the work. There's there's no line around that I've got better copy than the next guy or my cadences are more dialed in than the next guy. It's no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to finish it. I'm going to do the whole thing. That's exactly how we position ourselves. We, we actually have a, a slide in our deck that says our secret sauce. Funny. And when we reference this, I say, this is secret sauce. Not so secret because I'm going to tell you exactly what we do. And I am going to tell you upfront, we are not rocket scientists. Yes, I have some incredibly smart people that work with me. I am very proud of them. But what we're doing is something that you can do. But realistically, is that the best use of your time? Exactly. And then we go through our process and explain it. But what's funny is, and I think that this is always how these conversations go, we go in with one intention of trying to explain the benefits of having a framework going into a conversation. But ultimately, what we've just determined is your entire process should be built around establishing trust. Because if you build on a foundation of trust, you might sign the client in two months, a week, six weeks, but your retention in that client is going to be so much higher and your references and referrals from that client are going to be so much higher. I was just going to say one of the funniest um, things that I found, and I don't know what's funniest, but maybe maybe one of my favorite um, things that come out of that approach is a lot of times we will get a referral from a client we pitched that at the end of the day, we found we weren't the right solution for them. And we parted ways on, on good spirits. And then they referred us business because they understood what we were able to do. And they understood that I was going to be 100% transparent in that. And they were the best champions for us. That one client that we didn't get landed us three clients. That's, that's wonderful. That happened to us eight weeks ago where we were about to start an initiative with this client who had, unfortunately, a very heavy in-person element of their business model. And we were about to start an engagement with them. And obviously, COVID hit and they decided that they were going to put it on the back burner for a while. So we didn't get to work with them. They sent us five referrals. Yeah. And of those five, all five are on track. Three have closed and all five are on track to close. And this person didn't even work with us. And it was just because we were so transparent and reasonable with them from the get-go that they were comfortable putting their name to a service that they hadn't even worked with because we showed them everything. We didn't hide anything. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's a wonderful channel to continue to develop. Um, so bringing it back to Discovery Call, what I think what... What both of us really are championing forward is building trust and building transparency in that first call and making sure that the questions that you ask are intentional, but also are listened to and understood. And if there's something that you don't understand about their business, one of the things I really like to coach people on, especially earlier, um, or, or I guess more inexperienced um, salespeople would be making sure that they're asking a follow-up question if they don't understand. And it's okay to not know something about somebody else's business. What's not okay is acting like you do or just skipping over that because you're never going to get anywhere. And it can be intimidating. It can be a little scary to be the guy that doesn't know what's going on. 
but there's nothing more valuable than learning about that business. And if you're not building into that framework, follow-up questions that are based on the question asked before or the answer given before, it's, it's going to read terribly and it's going to be kind of a script. And that's the last thing. I think the worst thing that ever happened with discovery calls was the invention of a script. Yeah. People stopped feeling like they were people. They were just another number that had to be met, another call that had to be dialed, and they were no longer important to the person making the call. And just to follow up on that last thing that you mentioned there, and we could do this all day and we're going to have to wrap in a second, but you mentioned there not knowing the answer to a question is kind of scary. But in my opinion, the scariest thing you can do is pretend you know something you don't because you will be caught out so fast and then that deal is dead and you look like a totally untrustworthy character. And frankly, you do the industry a disservice by calling yourself a consultative salesperson because the only thing you're consulting is your ego, pretending you know things you don't. You're not seeing referral business from deals that were lost. I really would push I would really push that team to understand why. Because if you're doing it correctly, if you're truly being of service to every person that you get an opportunity to have 15 to 30 minutes with, that will pay you back in spades. And I track that. You know, you want to talk about putting stats and you're a data guy. And you know, one of the things that really turns people off on sales are metrics around close numbers and things like that. I'd love to have much more emphasis on referral numbers based on clowns that didn't go through. They didn't go past a certain stage. How many of those turned into referrals or partners? That's a successful metric. That's a metric that's really geared towards listening and geared towards being of service. I think it's so important that people realize that two things can be true at once. You can lose a deal and still win, even though you've lost a deal because you can build that rapport and you can get that referral. So what I'd love to do is, in the, in the full interest of transparency, I got onto this call fully expecting we'd be getting into the nitty gritty on framework. <laughs> and I had no idea that the crux of all of our discovery calls was based around building trust. And it, it's really true. You only know what you're doing when you go into it in a lot of detail. and some things that actually come very naturally to you and I seem so obvious, but I suppose my team are probably sick of me saying this, but the most common thing about common sense is it's not common. But what I would love to drill into next week is what do we think we could say to someone who's getting on a discovery call and is terrified because if you've never done it, it is scary. Of course. Next week, why don't we try and figure out what could we give them that is always going to yield a positive return. And then we can determine what a positive return is as well. True. Yeah, we'll want to explode on that. Um, because I'm very... go into it so deep right now, but I won't. <laughs> I'm very curious to see what metrics we feel are truly valuable at the end. Because I agree, we were going into this thinking really more specifically about the sta stages and steps in a framework. But I think what we, we came to was that it really doesn't matter unless there's trust and rapport. And um, what, can we, what can we kind of give out to the world that would make trust and rapport the focus um, for someone that's just getting started in this? So our key takeaway is 
It's all about building trust on that first stage call. Next week, we're going to talk about different ways that we can actually establish that trust in a very honest and transparent way. It's been a pleasure as always, and we look forward to chatting with you next week. I appreciate your time as always.